With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Recorded live. Hello, everyone. I'm Mara Chawastik at Behind Your Back. And we are here for a very special episode of Sticks and Stones podcast. And tonight, uh, filling out in for my usual co-host, we have River Clegg. Uh, we do not have the clever, cutesy little beginning. I decided to let River off the hook with that. Even though I'm dying to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> I really wanted to mess that up for you. Uh, um, <laughs> thank you for having don't me. Don't worry. As, as always, there will be plenty of opportunities to mess things up, River. You don't have to worry about it. doing it right <laughs> off the bat. We've got a whole hour. You just need to just piece that out. Uh, but thank you very much for joining. Uh, you know, we I thought about changing the name of the podcast, but that seems sacrilegious. So, oh, yeah. so we're, we're so sticking with sticks and stones anyway. Uh, even though the river there's river, sticks, a river, right? <laughs> even though a river runs through it tonight. Um, <laughs> so tonight uh, we have a guest that I would imagine most people listening at this point would be rather familiar with. Uh, we have a very talented, brilliant author who has just had the second novel in the trilogy that he is writing uh, released just a few days ago. Uh, that author is Wayne Gladstone. Wayne, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, <laughs> it was really a coup. I had my people speak to your people. To, I was about uh, to say, this, this is really quite the get. This is quite the get for us. It's <laughs> very exciting for you. We're we're not used to having guests of your magnitude. That is true. Certainly uh, not of of your talent and uh, and and writing ability, which is horrible. Since now we've had two writers on before that, so now I'm just being terribly yeah. insulting to everyone. I've, but I've never, know, let's say I've let's never say seen at least novelists. We're we're not used to having novelists on of your stature. <laughs> I think I can I can say that fairly. <laughs> Um, so as as I just said, you've you've just had your second book in the trilogy, Agents of the Internet Apocalypse, uh, released just a bit ago, and uh, that follows on the heels of Notes from the Internet Apocalypse, which uh, which came out last year and was phenomenal. Uh, and I know it's tremendously surprising that I've I've read both, and uh, and I love both of these books, and I'm already quite annoyed that the third has not come out and I, I kind of annoyed that you're spending time with us tonight because you should really presumably be writing this, the this third like now. The George, this is like the George Martin problem of the Game of Thrones thing. It's like, what are you doing? Oh. Making an appearance. You need to go write the book. Oh my god. River's <laughs> got the Frank Lesser problem. River, you're beeping up a storm. You sound like you're sending a telegraph through Western Union. Oh, Can you like okay. wear a, How's a, a, a How's this? Much uh, better? I think better? Better? Alright. Yeah. Okay. It's better for now, but we might force you to hang up and call back. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, I promised, we made a vow uh, that we would never be screwed by Frank Lesser again. Uh, <laughs> and no Frank. Frank Lesser. But you know what? Damn Frank. That 
I insulted him by saying that, that we this is the best writer that we've had on the show, and the ghost of Frank Lesser came back to curse us. He was just like, well, fuck you then, and just like threw the beeping back at us is what I think happened. Right, right. <laughs> I thought maybe I, didn't, I thought maybe at first River wasn't even going to speak tonight. He was just going to give us all his dialogue by you know Morse code. I thought he was beeping it out. Um, <laughs> okay, but, uh, right now? Yeah, you sound really good now. You sound really good. But uh, <laughs> I was too. Mara and I were like too polite and like to Frank, and we're like, oh, is that a sound? Oh, what's going on there? And I just we decided in the future we would just cut the chase and be a complete asshole, and we wouldn't wait for the other no, person. That's it. Totally fine. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. So, no, yeah, I, I should have been working on book three today. I tried, and uh, I failed. Uh, I didn't do any writing on the novel this weekend, which is a really disappointment to me, but I did write something that uh, hopefully McSweeney's will publish. So, uh, hey, there you go. So I thought, you know, why write the thing I'm getting paid for? Maybe I should just obsess over 700 words that I won't Exactly. That's a, good, yeah. that's a good way to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. That's the majority of my writing career, so you know, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I'm saying? Or I guess if you're broke, don't fix it. <laughs> nice, very nice. Well done. By the way, well, Wayne, I'm... your old McSweeney's piece uh, about the thoughts going through your head when you're at Hot Topic uh, with your kid is like one of my favorites. Really? Oh, yes. Thank you the, very the, much. The final, the final line of that. I won't ruin it. But the final, the final joke in the list is one of the funniest things I've read on that website. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that's, I would think that'd be way too blue for you, but uh, well, I guess I'm you're full of surprises. Yeah. I'm very, no, I don't want to ruin it for listeners if they haven't read it. Yeah, it's a dirty sexual act. We'll just leave it at that. In fact, so dirty that it might not actually be a sexual act. I, I was going to say it's actually uh, uh, sterile, not dirty at all. Um, so... <laughs> Huh. I, something got, For you folks at home, it's about urinating. There you go. There you go. So you can there, get you part go. Of there you go. Uh, it didn't matter. It was fine. They'd get there. It was so much linger. about someday. So, someday. So much about. I just do. I don't want to talk so much about that piece, but as long as we're on it briefly, so much about writing is you know using your. Uh, your imagination and putting yourself into other frames of reference. So for that piece, to write a character who was attracted to gothic chicks at Hot Topic, I really had to, like, stretch, you know, as a writer and get in touch with a part of myself that was very, you know, very foreign to me, you know. So, uh, so you don't adhere to the right way, yeah. no philosophy. Well, the, uh, you know, just truthfully with that piece, I was in Hot Topic. I was with my daughter and there wasn't a, like, not just a provocatively dressed saleswoman, but like a provocatively dressed saleswoman who was like all out in, in Hot Topic attire and not like Hot Topic now, which I guess is just like, I don't know, a t-shirt of the killers. Uh, I couldn't get a better reference because I'm old. Um, yeah, that's pretty bad. I got confused, too, because to do the reference correctly, it's all retro in there now, so I would have been right. like 80s, and then that would have made me look even more old, even though it was hipper. The point is, yeah. it was more like goth cosplay, and uh, the point is, I couldn't imagine her walking to work. Like, I couldn't, so I want, I, my thought was like, I wonder if she has, like, you know, like, the secretaries wear their sneakers and they kick them off and they put on the heels at, at the office, um, did she have, like, a whole costume change when she got to work? That's where that, that piece came from. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. since, you, since mm-hmm. you didn't ask, I thought I'd So thinking you. about young girls changing uh, is where that came from. That's good. We've got that on record. Uh, so anyway, you know, going back <laughs> to your novel, um, so, you know, this show, we talk to creative people and we talk to them about 
creativity. Um, and so I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit with you. Um, your first novel, I, I know I've spoken to you at length about, uh, and so I know that that grew out of a bit of free writing um, that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine, presumably, that this novel did not, given that it was planned as you know the second in a trilogy. But, right. um, but I'm wondering what did sort of drive the creation of this novel? Was it simply deadline and contract, or did you feel that there was something that you wanted to say with this book that was kind of driving it? Well, I have to back up to book one to answer that question, which is, um, right, I mean, you know, book one started uh, as a, a free writing, and the only time I've ever done a free writing, and I didn't necessarily throw it away. And I tried to throw it away, and I didn't want to do it, because I didn't want to write a novel, because it seemed like a huge waste of time to myself. All right, I'll only, it's kind of like an all-or-nothing approach. I'll only write one novel, if I feel like it's a trilogy, if I feel it's like a three novel, like it's too big a task to do. So I'll only do it if it's a monumental task was kind of my thinking. (laughs) So, so once I, once I fleshed out one and before it was even done writing, I was still of course thinking of, okay, how does this work in three parts? And, um, and I did have enough general ideas. I had an idea of book two being in many ways an inversion of book one, um, sort of, uh, uh, as my friend would say, uh, uh, Back to the Future too, which uh, I guess it is. But I would have to use a more impressive literary reference uh, and really wow the listeners and say that what was driving it was Empire Strikes Back. When you have to write a, a second novel, I didn't know how to do that. How do you write? How do you write a middle? How do you write the beginning and en- how do you write the beginning and middle and end of a middle? It seemed really difficult mm. and. Uh, so I, I took two lessons from that. I was like, well, one, there always has to be a discrete task, something that exists only within that novel that has to be a mission for that. And then I said, what's the best thing I've ever seen done? What's the best second thing I've ever seen done uh, of a trilogy? And that to me was clearly Empire Strikes Back. And I don't really want to give anything away, but I thought about what, what made Empire Strikes Back good in the broadest sense possible, and then I really, I was really influenced by that with this book, and that's why book three is just riddled with uh, fucking Ewoks. But um, no, well, but book three, to Godfather too. But yeah, I know. But then, <laughs> but, but Godfather two, Godfather two is a great movie, but it is not a great movie in the sense of I know, I know Godfather three. So, so that's why I wouldn't. That's why that would be the yep. difference there. And yeah. and and like book three and and Return of the Jedi, this book sets up a, a finale, which is basically a battle of good and evil for the ultimate, for you know the ultimate final battle. So, you know, it's not just Star Wars trilogy that does that. I mean, everything does that, but nothing cuts deeper to the core of my existence than than Star Wars. It defined uh, good and evil for me when I was four years old. So. It, it's it's pretty hardwired. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did, did you want me to answer that question without any references to movies? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Given that your books are so cinematic, it only seems appropriate uh, that they would uh, be influenced by by film. Um, <laughs> I could say that too. Yeah, I wrote them all. I write pursuant um, to like a script beat sheet. 
I follow like very conventional beats, which is weird because the first book people don't see it and find it unconventional and it is unconventional in many ways. But if you sort of look at addiction as the quote unquote bad guy in book one, then suddenly uh, all the fractured nature of book one and the unreliability of book one uh, suddenly ties in very neatly to a traditional Hollywood beat sheet. You just have to know who the bad guy is, and you don't really sort of know who all the players are in book one until you're done with book one. That's very interesting. Is it addiction is the bad guy in book one? Addiction? Yeah, yeah. I see addiction as the bad guy. That's the that's oh. the that's the quote unquote bad guy. You know, there's a famous beat in in screenwriting in the third act or coming out of the second act, which is you know bad guys close in. Right. Yeah. And and it's really addiction. Yeah. That's that's absolutely the case, and and in looking back, I absolutely see that uh, from notes. But I don't think I've ever, and it surprises me because it's not as though I've only had a, a few minor conversations about your first book, and not only with you, uh, but I've I've never heard that actually stated. And I think that's a really interesting thing to say, especially given that uh, you you know you're talking about addiction, so that's that's a um, often seen as a, a psychological problem, and then your your second book begins with your protagonist uh, in uh, institutionalized. Yeah. So it's it's really just the, the continuation of that in a and and I saw that, but it, it's much cleaner now now that you've said it aloud. So I appreciate that. Well, I know that's the, that's really the reason I wanted to have this podcast tonight. You know, to just clear up the so questions I would in your mind. You know, if not one person buys the book at internet uh, apocalypsecom that's okay. <laughs> but as long as the entries in your dream journal at the end of tonight are a lot more settled, then my work here is done. But you know, that's pretty much the only reason I'm ever doing a podcast. Frankly, I, it's just it's just totally for my benefit. And if anybody else happens to be a part of it, then that's great, and I feel really good for them. But you know, I don't really I don't really care. <laughs> it's just it's just for me. It's all for me. Speaking of me, let's play a game um, about me. <laughs> the first game is Make River Talk. Um, no, well, I, was, I didn't know if you wanted to speak more about your book, but I, I had a question. Um, you were setting up this whole sort of battle of good and evil thing you were talking about and that's being set up in book two, which I haven't read book two yet, so that's why I haven't said much about it because I don't want to be yeah, an idiot. Sure. But I enjoyed yeah. book one a lot, and I will read book two when I, when I get it. Um, but anyway, so... I, I think that you are, and this is kind of going away from the book a little, but you seem to have this kind of love-hate relationship with the Internet. It seems like it's uh, like the, this good and evil dichotomy. And I'm like, how does that, first of all, is that, am I right in saying that? And, and if so, like how, like how has it informed the whole enterprise of doing, of doing the novels for you? It's just kind of, I know that's a huge question, but like, Kind of well, I, I have a. It is a big question, but it's it, it's on the money. I mean, it's funny because um, book one is a very broad satire uh, in many ways, and is very obviously damning of internet culture. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, you read book one, you know he he is deemed rightly or wrongly the internet messiah. Someone people believe he's going to be the guy for some reason who's going to bring the internet back. Um, uh, in book two, when he starts doing that a little bit, someone says to him, well, why the hell would you be the one to bring it back, and why do you want to bring it back? You're the one who thinks it sucks. <laughs> um, and so this book explores some of the very positive uh, 
things that come from the internet. And basically, at the end of that day, and this is a theme in book two, which will be even further explored in book three, and it's really no great revelation, but I think people lose sight of it. The internet is not good. The internet is not bad. You can't answer that question the same way you can't answer it about humanity. And that's the whole point, because the internet is people. Period. Exactly. That is it's what like the internet is. An environment. Yeah. Um, so that's, I that's think, how I ground myself. Yeah, I do think it's interesting though the exploration and and uh, of, of the freedom that that comes from or the good things that come from this world you make about uh, where the internet doesn't exist. I remember the I remember the exchange with Toby I guess early on in, in notes where he's just like this is great I'm a free man like the internet doesn't exist my identity is back in my own hands like I can you know I can. I can. I've got like a clean slate, and I, I I read that, and I was like, oh my god, that's exactly right. Like, right. Like that's people. The thing. <laughs> that's um, the thing. When Mainstream first came out, we're all like, ooh, virtual reality. We get to be whoever we want. And then Toby, who's younger than Gladstone, is like, no, no, no. It just ties us to reality. It, yeah. It's we get to be whoever we want. If people don't can't knock you out online and know who you really are. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. or, or if you fuck up somewhere, it's, it won't follow you forever, or, or something like you can. You're like a, you're just a person like in the real world interacting, like you know, and it's not like there's this big permanent record there right. greater than you identity that you're tied to because you're you're on social media and and whatnot, um, and I know that's just like this one aspect, but that was one of the pieces of, of notes that uh, <laughs> stuck out for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey Thank River, you. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this game here, but can you hang up and give a call back? Because you are still doing the beeping thing. Oh, And, okay. uh, and I still haven't been able to figure out what the... the uh, okay, yeah, I'll, so I'll just... call back in. <laughs> so call back in while we play the game, which is called what? All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> the, the game is called Now Let's Talk About River, uh, since he's gone. Um, <laughs> that's what the game is called. Um, the game would traditionally at this point be stick stone or story where, uh, you know, I, I talk about a fact, um, a true fact of each of the co-hosts and then a third fact, which is unrelated. Uh, yeah. and I decided to, to, to keep that, uh, and do it, uh, river stick story. But the difficulty is that, you know, given that you are my co-host, uh, you know most of my stories, so <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to find. And then on top of that, when I was talking to River and trying to find, you know, moments of sort of differing commonality, I found that River and I have a lot of the same stories, <laughs> so then it just became two Is it just versions. all about difficulty finding pants that are long enough for your both freakishly long legs? It I don't was, know if you know this at home, but both River and Mar are both very tall uh, individuals. That's so, true. Fact, it was It was... Our ability to reach things that high. it does sound better, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. You want to keep talking? Maybe do a monologue? I don't know. You got some jokes? You want to? You want to test it out? What have I? What have I missed? Well, no, she was explaining to me the rules of river stick story. Yes. <laughs> First uh, game. But I was I was mainly saying that like it, when you and I were discussing, I you know. I, I was really having a hard time because I was just like, oh, okay, River and I both failed our driver's test the first time. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. we've, uh, yeah, we've I've both. I've failed it more uh, than once. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> well, you're much one, one up and One up and us again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. We thought we were cool, and then, nope, just waiting to shut us down. You think you're a bad driver. 
Um, that's all right. We saw you posted that parallel parking uh, picture there, Wayne. We, we oh know you. Bulleting. Or you oh, know, no, no. I'm a great driver like now, that. and I was, I was robbed the, the first two times. I didn't want to get into it. But, you know, anyway, <laughs> let's play the game. All right. So this is a really, really basic one. All I'm going to tell you is I'm going to give you three presidents, one of whom would be River's favorite president, one of whom would be my favorite president, and one of whom would be a third party entirely favorite oh, president. So you took, the, you took the classic podcast game and you just made it stupid for this episode. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I just made it really, really fucking basic. All and, right. Okay, oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Like Here, your really Here are your choices. Here are your choices. Franklin D. Roosevelt, Grover Cleveland, and Abraham Lincoln. Those are your three choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. River was a history uh, major at a very well-established uh, New England uh, university. You uh, were not, but are a very <laughs> intelligent person. And some moron, for some reason, said Grover Cleveland. So I'm not going to guess yet, but my first instinct is to say that the person who isn't intelligent like the two of you said Grover Cleveland. First, I have to decide if there's any reason why a highly intelligent person would say Grover Cleveland. He wasn't a bad president. Uh, The scandal that followed him around about his illegitimate child was probably unfounded and unfair. Um, We all know that he holds the uh, trait of being the only president elected non-consecutive times, but I don't know if that is enough to make him say, hi, I'm River, and I love him. He's my favorite. And I can't believe he's your favorite. Uh, we also know he had his jaw removed secretly in a, in a boat. <laughs> Are you just reading a Wikipedia page here? No, no, I know this about him. I know a lot about the history. I'm gonna... The boat story is true. It's, it's interesting. The, the, what was that? <laughs> He was concurring. He was backing up your statement. In yeah, yeah, you know, he had, he had his jaw, his cancerous jaw removed secretly in a, in a boat operation. I don't know why they couldn't go to, like, on land and still keep it a secret, but apparently that was more secret. Um, it's before the internet. He also did send this man to death, right? Because wasn't he, like, a sheriff or something? Or not sheriff, not like an old west. He was in, uh, but uh, mayor, he hung somebody But uh, early in his career. Okay, I'm going to say Grover Cleveland is the third person. I mean, Lincoln and FDR, I know, I got this, I got this. Lincoln is Mora, FDR is River because he's a huge uh, social lib, and that's the birth of the welfare state, and, uh, and Grover Cleveland is the third person. Those are my guesses. All right, well, you got one right. Grover Cleveland <sighs> is, in fact, the third person. Would you like to guess who? Uh, yeah. Right. Um, uh, you already said you yes, somebody who's yes, not very yes, intelligent. Yes, 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 yes. Brad Dereef. <laughs> Rand <laughs> Paul. Rand Paul's favorite oh, friend. Oh, Rand Paul. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. Rand um, Paul. I wish you write a book about that. Okay, well, I mean, you know, those are both... Those are both fine choices, FDR and Abraham Lincoln. They're hard to disagree with and hard to differentiate between the two of you. I mean, they're both solid presidents there, so. Yeah, yeah they're, I, they're a good story. I was mostly way. interested in the logic game that would come out of you trying to determine. That was actually the most I think, part. I, you know what it is? I, I may have gotten it wrong. I think I got it right, though. My, my reasoning was sound. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your reasoning was so sound, we've actually changed our minds. Oh, right. yeah, I was going to say, yeah. true. I am, uh, I am a whatever socialist, whatever he called me. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. welfare state. I, I mean, uh, you know, I put, I put FDR up there at the top, too, and, and Lincoln. I guess I don't, know, I don't know that I have a favorite. 
Um, I guess it's probably one of those two. Here's the situation. Um, I was forced to choose a favorite when River gave me his favorite present. I was like, like, oh, River, tell me ten things. And then I was like, all right, well, okay. Now I have a favorite. Tell me some things about yourself. And I'm like, oh, God, I got nothing. It turns out I've led a boring life. Uh, no, I know. That's how she makes me feel every week on Six Stone Story. She's like, I once served appetizers to former Mayor Ed Koch while flying in a hot air balloon. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I once saw Tom Hanks from across Times Square. <laughs> like, I met one of the Beach Boys when I was six. Yeah, that's like my thing. Um, <laughs> you don't even know which one, probably. I don't. I was a kid. I, I don't. Yeah, that's a shame. Are you sure it was uh, a beach boy or was it just a boy on the beach and you just kind of <laughs> <laughs> actually just a creepy uncle in a Hawaiian shirt going, ah, hey, go come out. Right. Oh, yeah, I explain a lot, actually. Does this are we tapping into some childhood trauma right now? Do we need to, to go into that further? Listen, I prefer not to talk about it. Yeah, all right, all right. We'll move right along. That's fine. That's fine. All right, Wayne. I'm sorry. I think we should today. return back. I think we should return back to what's so far been the most solid part of the podcast, which is me giving Grover Cleveland Alexander facts. You know, uh, <laughs> similarity. Uh, FDR and Cleveland, like you said, both hid uh, maladies from the public uh, back at a time when it was easier to do that. That's true. That's and uh, the next president I think of, of course, Woodrow Wilson who was practically, you know, uh, stroked out and incapacitated for a large part of his uh, term. And so by some reports, his wife was running the country. Yes. Which, uh, and all all I can hope is I just hope she hated the blacks and Jews as much as he did so that it was a smooth for the nation. It was awful. Yeah, he really, really virulent anti-Semite. I'm assuming he hated the blacks too, but I can't be sure. Oh, he did. Yeah, well, what did he do? He did something like he... He resegregated a lot of federal positions, yeah. I think. Um, right. And he was just very into, yeah, his segregation. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, for, for minorities like the two-thirds of this podcast and any, any listening at home, at least he suffered a very painful and disabil- a debilitating stroke and was in tremendous pain until his death. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the good Always looking on the bright side. Wayne Gladstone. <laughs> I like this. This is good. This is, you know, the... <laughs> presidential attack. We can we can go through each one actually and just talk about what was wrong with this president. I think we could do that for the next like half an hour straight. And it would, well, it would it delight me at least. Uh, also, uh, the only uh, as far as anyone knows, at least uh, not that he was openly, but it's it's believed the only uh, gay president. Who? Any uh, the gay president? You know, the one who didn't have a wife in office. Oh, do I? Oh, do I know who that one is? Yeah. Yeah. Who it? Uh, go ahead. Be, be counted. James Buchanan, but you know what he liked his friends to call him, and this is not a cheap joke, it's just facts. Peggy. Peggy. He, <laughs> he went by Peggy, yeah. Which may, which may, that and the fact that he lived with the guy for a long time, um, is like the baby, part of the basis of the gay rumors. But, you know, at this point, they're not really rumors. They pretty much think that he was gay. And uh, so Here's a question for you. Is making fun of the potentially uh, the, the only gay president or... Uh, a potentially closeted president, would that be, uh, if you were to satirize him, was that punching up or down? Because you're punching Yeah, I know, it's I mean, so that's, that's confusing. It's so confusing, uh-huh. and only one of them is acceptable. So, my God, you'd have the same joke, and you wouldn't know whether you could laugh at it until someone explained that part to you. I, I can't. I have no idea. I'm just sitting here in utter confusion, not sure if I'm allowed to participate in this or not, because I, you know, i got to be very careful about these right. kind of things. 
I know, I know. So uh, we can talk about that. You want to talk about that, Russ? Yeah, that's uh, the question I'm very uh, interested in. Is your, your, you're your... chomping at the bit. I am. Uh, well, yeah, I have a feeling I know what the question is, but should I no, wait for you to ask it or should I just go for it? It's not that specific. It's more. It, I more want you to say more about that because the 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 the, uh, the whole the, the 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 belief that good satire has to be punching up. You think is is not correct and historically not true. I think. I think it's. I think right. I think it's completely false, and I think it's propounded by um, um, people who have no conception of what satire is, which happens okay. to be the majority of the planet. People who say that typically define satire as being a dick. That's what they think satire is. I remember when I was in college and then Bush was president and we called him a fucking asshole because we were so satirical. Yes, mm-hmm. Bush was that. You can make lots of mean jokes about Bush and no one's going to get upset. Some of them are satirical. Some of them are just calling him an asshole. So satire... Um, what they what they really mean when they say that half these people without even knowing it is they mean like we already have a cliche for that it's don't kick someone when they're down or don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind we all know that we all agree with that that's not the goal of satire to either kick someone when they're down or but that's not the same thing as good saying good satire only punches up right. satire attacks human vice human folly if there is something illogical rigid, detrimental, foolhardy, all those things that encompass human vice are the subject for satire. And there is no requirement that you then ask, to which socioeconomic group does this human vice belong to? Because only a subset of this on my Venn diagram of humor is quality satire. If you have a bunch of gay handicapped Latinos and your joke is, man, don't gay handicapped Latinos suck because they're so stupid. That's not satire punching down. That's being a dick. That's being a racist. It's not being funny and it's right. not satire. But if okay. that if that organization formed some sort of lobby to fight for freedom, but their their agenda was so foolhardy or so backwards or so foolish that they were shooting themselves in the foot in their attempts to help their cause, then you could totally satirize that vice, that folly. So I just think people aren't specific enough with their language. No, no one wants to pick on the oppressed. But at the same time, don't, don't dice up satire into these little rules just because you don't really understand what it is. And that's, that's my feeling on satire. Okay. I, I, that's what, and that's what I was writing this weekend. I was writing a whole a trans piece that, I, that is about a thousand words long, and there is not one joke mocking the trans community. But all the jokes are about trans issues. There should, okay. be, no, there should be no problem with it. There should be no, no, nothing standing in the way of the publication. And frankly, there should be no, I would hope, I, I, you know, that there's nothing offensive to uh, anyone in the trans community because they're not the butt of this joke. But right. it, we're getting to a point where someone would be like, well, I just don't want to joke on that topic. You know, well, you know I, I got to say, I have, I have a similar, I, I agree. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think, I think your definition of satire is good, even though I'm like, <laughs> my like own, that 
I don't define. I can't. I don't. I didn't have a good definition of satire in my back pocket the way you just did. I I find it very difficult to tell. Like I'm always like, is that a satire or is that like what separates it from just good comedy or you know like is what I'm laughing at satire? But I remember when I was in college, I had this um for the humor magazine we were writing for. We had to do uh, every every magazine every issue had a theme that like the cover of the 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 issue would like you know be about and uh, the theme we were working on was uh, the apocalypse it was going to be the apocalypse issue of this humor magazine and I had this idea to have just a gay wedding on the cover with no uh, maybe that's not funny maybe you don't think it's funny but I was like it's funny because we're satirizing people who think that the gay gay marriage is akin to the apocalypse and then people were like well it might offend people though they didn't mind up doing it but I was like I don't know I think I'm right like I don't think it's and I think we're going after the right target but anyway enough about me well I mean that's the thing no but that's the thing I mean yeah like there's such a thing as good satire that some people just won't get and they'll miss the point that exists and then there's things that, uh, well, maybe you're right and maybe your heart isn't black and maybe no one should attack you as your heart's black as opposed to just saying they didn't get your point. But that my rule of thumb is, you know, the more, the more uh, you're going to piss people off, the more you're going to offend, then the more, then you better make sure, then the funnier it has to be and the more able you need to be able to prove why that's not at all what you're saying. Exactly. That's, that's just, it's kind of a sliding scale for me, you know. Um, but whatever, I just don't like rules. I don't, I don't like rules, especially made by people who aren't funny and don't understand comedy. Uh, that's it. That's the deal. And that's what I, everything I just said would be boiled down by a moron as saying, "Oh, well, Gladstone some things you can joke about anything, and these things, these things, a bad joke." And again, that's someone needs to make a rule and make it simple, but I don't think that at all. That in no way subscribes to what I'm saying. It's just that satire is inher- inherently self-limiting. If you are really being satire, you are criticizing vice. And if it is actually a vice, then it's fair game. If you think being poor is a vice, then you're just... No one would, no satirist would defend it that way, right? They wouldn't say, no, 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 I'm not, I don't hate the poor. I'm just explaining that if you're born with less money, you're a bad person. I'm satirizing that. <laughs> Those people don't exist. <laughs> they just hate the poor or the Jews or the blacks or the handicapped. It, it's, it's, uh, if you want to write satire and you really dedicate yourself to it and you think about it, then you know you're doing it for yourself because there's no money in it <laughs> and no one gets it. <laughs> And so the least you can do for these people is not attack them for being racist and misogynist because probably they're the last people who need being attacked. But, uh, well, that's my uh, that's my disadvantage. Yeah. Speaking of uh, both comedy and things that Wayne is able to articulate uh, eloquently and, and concisely, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more, if you will allow me, uh, about Agents of the Internet Apocalypse. Uh, the book that you have written that has just come out. Um, so uh, there is, this is in no way, there, there's like a million quotes actually that I feel like I could pull from this book and that I do pull from and think of often. But um, this is kind of, this is this is kind of even a secondary tier one, but I'm just going to um, share it now. So uh, it's the, the author Gladstone speaking. 
I laughed, and that's how he got in, because humor is a powerful shortcut for men. We rarely just sit back and divulge, but when guys continually laugh at the same things, it means more than sharing the same sense of humor. It's sharing the same world of referential knowledge, the same moral philosophy. Your laughter acknowledges similar wiring without revealing anything. So I shared that particular quote mainly because we were talking about comedy and, and you guys in general were laughing. But I found that such an interesting, smart observation, just very quickly stated in the course of the the action taking place and other things happening in the novel, just a, a moment of pure insight. And I find that you put those throughout your books in general, and uh, they're really they're rife with them. And so I actually just was curious, when you're writing, in general, are these things that you have in your head that you're like, you know, I really want to say this. This is a, a comment I want to make, and I'm going to just find a place for it in my book. Or is it that you are writing part of the story, and this is just sort of what comes out? You just find that that's what you're thinking, and you're able to then move into saying something so uh, so eloquently and well stated. Wow. Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that. That's very nice. Uh, and uh, first, I'll answer that very quickly, but then I'll give you the background. The answer is it's both. Sometimes I have them, and sometimes I generate them in the moment or with much rewriting. But let me just back up for a second and say um, maybe this is wrong, but I have a very um, – I try to rid myself of this notion because it doesn't help you write, but I still view the novel and books in a very exalted light. I still think, and it's totally not true, that you need to be smart to write them. Uh, I still think if you read a novel, you'll learn something about life. Also not true. All my notions <laughs> about novels are very naive and grandiose, and you, you want to be using a meaner word, pedantic. Um, and I've shaken a lot of them off, because at the end of the day, the novel is just not that much different than cavemen around a fire telling a story. And it's just another way to tell a story. And it's just some guy or woman making shit up. But, but despite acknowledging that, there is still a very large part of me that wants novels to be grandiose. And I'm very happy when I read a book and I have a nugget that I can hold on to, uh, a, a passage to live by, something in the world said to me that I recognized specifically articulated and now I don't have to have that feeling anymore. I have the words for it, and I can just use it. Those are my favorite things as a reader, and those are my highest compliments to receive as a writer. Um, so in the case of the passage you read, that was a realization I had, and, and I just had to do some... Figuring, I've told this story before, but um, some of my closest friends, many of my closest friends, I didn't, I didn't meet until I was like 30, and I didn't meet them. I met them first online, and there was just something about that kitty porn cosplay chat group. No, they were all. The point is, they were all humor. They were all humor writers. Uh, it would come up again in the early days, McSweeney's or, or other websites I'd write at. You know, they would link someone's email, and not in a suck up, networky way, just in a hey, man, I read your piece. I really liked it. Uh, and then like, oh, wow, no, I read yours too. I like it. And then we became friends. And suddenly, like over and over again, I became friends with humor writers. And I figured, I had, I had asked myself, why, why humor writers? Why is that my thing? Why are these the people I can relate to better than anyone else? And I think, um, as you know, knowing me a little bit, that in many ways I'm a big 
wussy, uh, chatty, overly talkative, emotional uh, baby. Or if you want to be a uh, misogynist, <laughs> you'd say, I'm very girly. Um, um, I'm but I didn't say that, and I won't have you put words in my mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And guys aren't like that. Guys don't talk. Mostly guys don't talk. And the, an easy way that guys can talk is by jokes. When you, when you laugh at the same things, you're showing your hand that you have all these same moral philosophies and referential knowledge without having to admit it. You're just laughing at a joke, and that's cool, and we don't have to cry or anything. And I realized that was a big part of why I found I was able to connect more deeply with, uh, with humor writers than other dudes. And I just always wanted to write about that, and it just popped up, and I dropped it in there. Wonderful. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I was curious about that because, like I said, it, your books are riddled with those moments. And and I think uh, what you enjoy reading is something that you are giving to your readers. I mean, I, I definitely see it. There are many points in your books where I'm going, ah, thank you. Yes, somebody has said that. That's wonderful. I, I didn't know if that was just something that I had in my head, and, and now it's been articulated. So it's it's appreciated, at least by me. And as we established earlier, that's really all that matters uh, well, that's the funny thing about writing a book. I mean, it might not be any good. It might suck. But you ultimately, I think, or at least I do, you write the book you want to read. Meaning, like, I hate, I really don't like, I don't, I don't like long books, and my books aren't long. I don't like pages and pages of description, and I don't have it. You know, I don't like, I don't like, like, a sudden tangent with, like, 500 years of backstory, and I don't do that either. So, like you do end up, you know, writing what you like to read. And it doesn't make sense because doing anything else is too fucking boring. I mean, if you, if you were grading me for school and said, no, 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 you have to, like, create an elfish language and you have to have a map in the back and you have to do everything Tolkien did. <laughs> like, well, I have to get an A, but if you're, you're not paying me, fuck it, I hate that shit. I'd never do that. You know what? I just thought you could have a you could have like a map, like a fantasy map on the on the open flap of the book, but of the internet. Uh, and, uh... <laughs> I'm going to wait for the I'm going to wait for the uh, when the book becomes huge, as I'm sure it will after this podcast. When everyone goes to www.internetapocalypse.com and buys a hundred copies each for all their relatives and friends, I will wait for the uh, fan fiction people to do that for me. Yeah, that's I a good idea. But also, the internet has gone away, so maybe it wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, make sense for the. For you know, there was fan fiction. Some some girl in some girl what? in Australia. <laughs> I think even before it was a novel, maybe it was still a novella on crack, the first thing. Oh, uh, yeah? People <laughs> giving, like, Toby a backstory and all that. And... No! Oh, basically what she did was just over from the perspective of a young girl in, Ireland, in uh, Australia, which is what she was. It's just like read, read it. Yeah. Where, instead of being an aging New Yorker, it was me in Australia. But I, really? I'm... I'm yeah, yeah. You can you search hard enough, I think you can find it. But uh, uh, I'm 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 you know gently ribbing her right now. I doubt she's listening. But if she is, that was inordinately flattering, and it was lovely. Uh, of her. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not mocking her. I'm just you know. What yeah, I feel like that's it? a great metric of success. Is sort of someone writing fan fiction of your your fiction. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> well, you know, at least for that one person, it was a huge metric of success. I need like twenty thousand more of her. Uh, <laughs> Are we, are we going to play another game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what do we do? But here's the thing. Uh, I, River came up with all sorts of wonderful games, and 
and and they were great and I have forced him to to do your game instead so we might we might do this and then also just sort of dabble in, in something else that River has done as well but for the time being we are going to now flip this on you Wayne and play highbrow lowbrow Yay! Uh-huh. She, she said you really. She said it would break your heart if we didn't do this. So, so I've done. Some, I, I, I appreciate it. That's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but special edition, highbrow, lowbrow, satire edition, uh, because that's the uh, you know that's that's your thing. So we're gonna do that, and uh, uh, we'll we'll go. Do you want? So so it's all based on satire. Do you want uh, lowbrow or highbrow first? And by the way, do you need to explain for the, for the kids at home? For the kids at home, I can do it if you want. No, no, wait. For the kids at home, the highbrow lowbrow game is four questions: too high, too low. Only have to get three right. The second question is harder than the first one, right? Uh, in each oh yeah. Category. I wasn't really thinking about difficulty. Oh uh, well, you, you better you better start thinking about it right now if you've come to play. Oh my god! Highbrow oh lowbrow. It's, well, you can the first make the first one easier. Or it's moot because I don't know the answers to any of them. So. Oh. Um, okay. Good. All right. Well, you've already ruined the game. Yeah. So maybe you should just leave. <laughs> I don't care. I I'll go low. Highbrow. I'm just kidding. Highbrow high first. Yes. Okay. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if this will be. I don't. I think this is more interesting than the other one. Might be harder. But this is one Lauren and I uh, uh, collaborated on. She suggested this as a as an idea, and I thought it was really good. So highbrow question one. It's about satire. We've established you have uh, strong opinions on what constitutes uh, satire and good satire. So in, let's say, 20 seconds, can you come up with a title for a hypothetical satire of your own work? Wait, 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 wait. You cut out. Wait, wait. In 20 seconds left, can I come up with a title for a hypothetical satirical work? Of your work. Satire of uh, the Internet Apocalypse novel. Um, and... That's it, and I guess I guess we'll. I don't understand. Wait, I don't understand the question. Don't set the timer. Okay, yeah, you have to. <laughs> I, I already, I already, well, I already, I already titled my work. No, no, a satire of your work. Oh, someone satirizing my satirizing, novel. If you, if you or someone else was was going to satirize your work. Well, oh, if it was Mad Magazine, it'd be like notes from the Internet Apocalypse. Black. With that, that's how we make it. Um, okay. okay, so we've we still yeah. got 18 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Notes from the Internet of Hyperbole. That's all I'm calling it from now on. Uh, You're not going to beat uh, that. That was great. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> uh, Notes from the like Internet. Apocalypse. <laughs> but I don't like that as much as I'm giving myself <laughs> points for the Mad Magazine title. There you go. Oh, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture their, like, uh, I can picture their caricature of Gladstone in, in their big, you know, like, uh, fold-out thing. That, uh, mm-hmm. He's, like, got his Jameson. Um. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, great. Okay, great. Okay. Well, you definitely got uh, oh, and in the Mad Magazine thing, he would just be, like, Sadstone or Madstone. That would be his name, too, by the <laughs> way. Right, of course. Yeah. Either one. Yeah. Okay, um, now I'll go with the lowbrow. Okay. Okay, lowbrow. This is, I think, the easier one. Um, lowbrow question. Uh, so, in the in the episode of South Park, Ma Ooh. Saini... Is this... Okay. In the well, episode, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> I just thought I, 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 like, haven't seen anything past like I don't know. I, I know it's weird because I don't, I don't know how... I don't know what things you're familiar with, but we're going with this. In the South yeah. Park episode, mocking 
the 2004 election between Bush and, and Kerry. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The students of South Park Elementary must vote on a new school mascot. Oh, uh, can, you, can you name either of the two mascot options? Uh, oh, are like you only have to do? I only need to name one of the two? You get I think one of the two was... Only have to okay. name one. Two, two if you can. I think, I think the one that I'm more sure of, I think one of them was Turd Sandwich. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> so I've already won, but for uh, extra credit, I guess the wow. one was Giant Douche. Yes. Do you remember which? Do you remember which was which? Uh, who I think Giant Douche was. Uh, I think Giant Douche was Kerry, but I don't know. Oh yeah, you got it. Hey, Damn. Cool. all right. Very good. That's, that's like retro down. retroactive points. We'll put those that one extra one back. No, that was a good one. That was a really good episode. And see that that was not punching up really either. Not exactly, but it certainly wasn't punching up. It might not have been punching down. But what what Parker and Stone were satirizing in that thing was like. Even though I'm a huge lib and a huge Democratic, they were basically saying, fuck you, Democratic Party, that you care everyone's voting. You don't really care that everyone's voting. You care that you think these people that aren't getting a chance to vote will vote for you. So, so you're not as noble as you think. So, you know, they weren't punching down, but they were satirizing people who were out there trying to get, un, to get disenfranchised people to vote. They were satirizing the holier-than-thou intent of those people when there was a lot of self-interest in those people. Well, and you know what? That's we, okay. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have thoughts on that, but we can, uh, we can move on to another. Um, okay. Well, you get, so, so we can, uh, you get really one point there, but three if these next two don't go well. Um, highbrow, lowbrow. Uh, I'll go, I'll go highbrow knowing that if I get it wrong, I can still win the game with the next lowbrow. <laughs> All right. Highbrow, <laughs> question two. Uh, okay. So this is about George Orwell. Uh, in Animal Farm, can you name uh, the pig who is Napoleon's chief rival in the story? Oh, oh God, I have a yeah. junior high school. Well, oh, boy. Old, major, old, major, old Major is, is the Karl Marx character, right? And then the horse was like Trotsky, right? Uh, no, this, this, actual, this, this character is actually based on Trotsky. Oh, I believe. No, I The important cannot. thing I is that you not. came up with turd sandwich in like a half second. Like, you didn't even believe that. I know, that but <laughs> in fairness to me, in fairness to me, turd sandwich was in my 20s. And like, this is in like my like teens. Uh, I remember an old major was Karl Marx. I remember there was a horse. I remember yeah. some animals are more equal than others. That's harder. That's a, that's a harder one to dig up. Uh, is, I forget. Uh, who is it? Who is it? It's a uh, uh, snowball. Oh. <laughs> All right, fair question, and uh, I feel a little silly, but not that silly. Right, no worries, no worries. Because, you know, Animal, Animal Farm is one of the greatest books ever written that they would never ask you to read in high school or at any time. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's one of the greatest books ever. No, no, you're a ninth grade, you're too old, can I shit? <laughs> it is, uh, it is one of those. But when you're a child, you have a half-formed mind. <laughs> I can't think it's of it's like more, that. Definitely the more accessible of his, like, uh, you know, that, that or 1984, you know, it's, it's thinner, it's, it's about farm animals, you know, it's deceptively uh, sort of, it's like, you know, it's a fable. 
So it is. Uh, yeah, no, I loved Animal. I loved Animal Farm, and uh, and then when I learned the actual history, I actually thought I did it was like backwards. When I learned the actual history, I then thought back to the the fairy tale story, and I love 1984, and there's yeah. of course a huge 1984 influence in uh in uh yeah. in notes. I mean, you yeah. know, Gladstone is a very Winston Smith character, right down to the fact of uh, him shacking up with a younger woman. Through you know, she's also a ministry of love or whatever, but uh, you know, that's true. Oh man, is that well? Say a lot of bad The apocalypse gets a bad rap, but its aging, broken protagonists do seem to get laid. So you know, <laughs> thank you, patriarchy. Something for everyone. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, I still have <laughs> a chance to win with the second lowbrow question. Yeah, second lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see about this. At the beginning of the 1996 film, Beavis and Butthead Do America, what misfortune befalls Beavis and Butthead at the beginning? Kind of the catalyst for their adventure in the movie. I'm gonna, I don't remember I saw it, but I'm going to say their TV gets stolen. Boom. Yes. Got it. Okay. Well done. Whew. And that's... <laughs> Of course, it throws the whole uh, the whole structure of Beavis and Butthead out the window because that's all they do in the show is watch TV. Yes, so, uh, it forces them to go out and interact with. You know, I fifty percent I fifty percent remembered that, and fifty percent exactly just started thinking about like as a like a Hollywood idea man. Yeah, like, like how would I get these two guys on the road? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the one thing they do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so okay, well, so I won that one. Well, well and done. I you got more. three for four. That was great. No, well, you know, very well done. Four, I very well done. It's no lucky eight, but you know, we, not everyone That's can. True. So you, you did just fine. That was absolutely ex- acceptable. It shouldn't be embarrassing, at least. In the remaining um, minutes, should we do that thing to make River happy? That oh thing God. to make River happy? Yeah, no. Well, Let's we will. Momentary. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, feed the homeless is what I'm referring to. <laughs> right, right. I mean, oh, I, mean I just want to <laughs> take a moment uh, so that you can hear it in not Wayne's voice. But if you do not currently own the novels that we're speaking of, and even if you do, maybe just go and for a friend, you could you could have them read it and send them the book, that sort of thing. Uh, it's internet-apocalypse.com to get Agents of the Internet Apocalypse, the second in the Internet Apocalypse trilogy. Uh, so that is just my reminder and plug. Uh, River, do you want to do the uh, the word association? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Um, okay, so here's here's a game. I don't, we can't really score it, Wayne, but I think it's interesting just because of your uh, your because of your time, your association with you. the internet. And. Uh, so this is inter- it's called Internet Word Association. At first, I was going to call it Internet Rorschach, but that's a little less, it's a little cooler sounding, but not quite as accurate. What it's going to okay. be is I'll say a word uh, associated with the internet, and you'll just say the first word that comes into your mind. So it's very, uh, very appropriate given the opening chapter about uh, the, the psychiatrist. Uh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So we'll, just, nice uh, we'll go, go through a few of these, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, and. Uh, without further ado, okay, number one, knocker. Now, I don't know what you said. I don't know if you said knocker or knocker or gawker. Oh, gawker. Gawker. Good, good. Oh, gawker. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. 
<laughs> How do you really I feel already about know where we're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Reddit. Confusing. What's that? Confusing. I'll never really okay. understand. I, I really have tried to get a handle on Reddit, and I know I write about Reddit, but I, I really I can't think of any part of the internet that I'm really more insecure about than than Reddit. It, Luckily, it's, uh, and Reddit's uh, you know the people who run Reddit understand it uh, not at right. all. Right. So it, it'll probably and be collapsing soon, and you won't have to worry about that. Right. It just seems to be increasingly fractured and increasingly horrible. I don't even know if I if it has a mission statement anymore. It or, you know, like humanity, it, or maybe, like we said in the beginning, since the Internet is people, maybe at this point it just tracks so much of humanity that it really can't be quantified or qualified any better than humanity can. Right. Okay. I think it's funny how the Internet is real, basically satisfies all the same things as religion. You know, in in your sort of uh, in your sort of uh, depiction of it, it's just like, oh, it's this thing that uh, you know, it's good or bad, but it's just a reflection of the people who are you know using it. Right. Um, it is what you anyways. make of it, like everything else. Yeah. Okay, so we get that. I'll go. Uh, okay, here's one. Twitter. You know, I, I, it's, it's, uh, I don't, I'm really censoring myself, but I won't. Um, um, well, I didn't censor myself at all with the Gawker shit. Um, but it's funny because there's a lot to make fun of with Twitter. And uh, I was talking to our mutual friend, Sam Pashnak, the other night uh, oh, yeah. about Twitter and how he was mm-hmm. so bad at it. No, I was joking. Uh, um, about Twitter and how, you know, was it worth it or was it not worth it? And there's a tons of things that suck about Twitter. But when you said Twitter, the first thing I thought of, and this is kind of humiliating and embarrassing, but it was partly because of that conversation. No, the first thing I thought of was, was I don't know if this counts as one word or two, is Patton Oswalt because of what I said to him, which was, for all its failings, if not for Twitter and this amazing, bizarre website, I would have not had this limited interaction. I'm not making more of my connection to Pat Oswalt than this. It's nothing. But I would have never had just, like, exchanged the few sentences with him that I have but for Twitter. And he would have never read my book and done the incredible kindness to me of giving me a blurb for it. And mm-hmm. so you, you said to me, Twitter, I thought of the absolute most positive experience that I came from it, and that was having any connection at all to a very uh, generous, talented guy. So, that's so, right. That's, uh, yeah, that's what that, I, that, that's what I that thought. That does seem like a, uh, it does, it does uh, connect people in, in, in a great way like that. I remember uh, when, like, Twitter started, they were like, it's great, because, you know, big, big people, like, celebrities and famous people can have direct interaction with people, and I was like, well, I don't know if that, but yeah, like, I, don't know if that's I think it really is true. But that's a big part of the book, too, as well, in that um, the anonymity and distance of the Internet can also yeah. allow people to become closer, not just celebrities, but uh, there's a part in the book. Um, sometimes it's easier to help. Sometimes it's easier to be helped with the distance of the Internet because it's less evasive and it's like getting help from a stranger. Sometimes it's also easier to help with the internet. 
because, and this is terrible, but it's true, you know, you've got that needy guy who comes to you in real life and you do that thing for him and for a day you make him not sad, but then he comes back tomorrow and he comes back the next day. And the horrible thing about humanity is, not you because you're a better human being, but for the rest of us uh, to do that nice thing and then know, oh, God, now i got to do this nice thing all the time. With the Internet, you can just do that nice thing once and then never speak to them again. But yeah. the point is, it makes it easier to do one nice thing. So it works both ways, and that's something that's in book two, which really talks about actually some of the positive things that come from the Internet when book one is satirizing it so much. That's great. I'm excited to read that. Because, yeah, it seems like, uh, well, it goes back again to your, your love-hate, uh, your, your sort of love-hate relationship with the thing or, uh, you know, awareness of what's what's good and what is not good about it. Um, I should okay. say, as a, as a very, 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 very distant second to Patton Oswalt, it's also how I met Mara, my co-host, so... You know, that oh, has yeah. some limited, well, that's how, uh, limited worth, too. Like, you know, I should just mention that in passing. But really, mostly the patent thing. That's, <laughs> that's how I met Laura, too. So. That's so, true. Uh, that's how I've yeah. met everyone I've ever known, I think, actually. I don't actually exist. I'm just part of the Internet <laughs> at this point. Laura, I'm, so. like, 95% sure that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I appreciate the five percent doubt that you hold uh, to believe me. Um, I don't trust. I don't trust my own recollection enough to say a hundred, but pretty sure we met. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't think so. You were pretty drunk. I was never there. Uh, so <laughs> I think we've already we've hit our hour. We're actually already past it. Um, okay. So Wayne, thank you so much for coming on and uh, and talking to us about your yeah. books. I, I know this was a tremendous sacrifice in, in your time, which actually it, it truly was, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you really had to prepare quite a bit to come on I to did. a podcast. I, and, I canceled my sit-down <laughs> sit with the New York Times to make to make room for uh, for this podcast. Janet Madsen was like, no, no, I really want to pick your brain before I write my review. And I was like, Janet, I'm only going to break your heart. Let me speak to the people via the Talk Shoe podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. She called me crying. It was a whole thing. And I, frankly, I, I don't want to deal, but, you know, that's going to be the rest of my night now. So, uh, <laughs> thank you yet again. At the end of the show, uh, I don't think that we have a title for it, or if we did, I wasn't paying attention when you actually came up with one, Wayne. But uh, we like to do a little uh, knowledge roundup where we each uh, give a little morsel of of the information that we learned today um and uh i'll go first here uh i am now someone who knows that grover cleveland had some sort of secret surgery in a boat that is not information that i had before today so um that's very good to know river what, what did you learn today river you know, I didn't know, um, well, the fact that Wayne's an author is news to me, so, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know what it is? Cause Riz, I, I, don't like, I don't like to self-promote. That's the thing. <laughs> very, very hush hush. Keep those cards real close to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, I guess. Uh, the thing I learned is another presidential one. I had no idea James Buchanan was known as Peggy to his friend. Yeah, yeah. That is... Uh, that's very strange. I had no idea, and uh, uh, you will certainly not be using that to uh, speak about any sort of uh, 
gay jokes because we're still unclear as to uh, <laughs> even though you may now understand <laughs> satire perhaps a bit better that doesn't mean you necessarily we're comfortable with it I'm, I'm right. certainly it's one of many many things I'm not comfortable with uh, and it makes me <laughs> nervous and, and sweat the sort of sweat that smells bad um, I, uh, so the Peggy thing that's super funny regardless of whether people think he's gay if he were if he were married to a woman president and he, and he wanted to be called Peggy like I think that's just an interesting tidbit no matter what um, yeah, Peggy's a funny name. So, uh, Wait, anyway, yeah, that's true, too. It's not even that it's a woman's name. It's just that it's like, Peggy's. I don't know. Peggy, yeah. Peggy, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think, like, hoop earrings or, like, you know, a lot of polka dot blouses is good for Peggy. Okay. Um, what All did right. I learn? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not something learned as much as remembered, which is like learning. But it's that the, uh, the other pig was Snowball. I forgot about that. <laughs> the well, now... Snowball. We're all a little bit wiser, and hopefully all those listening are as well. And thank you, everyone who listened and will listen, um, for joining us. We have definitely appreciated your giving us uh, some of your time. And uh, you Wait, will... Sorry, thank you, guys. Don't, don't hang up. Wait, don't hit the off button. Say what you say. I'm sorry. I just don't, you have control of hitting stop recording. Oh, I have control so of everything. Uh, so, so I just want you to control. stop before I said what's something. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You'll join us again uh, on Wednesday when I'm very sad to say Wayne will be back to his co-host duties uh, and you'll have to hear him not necessarily talk about his book for an hour, only for maybe like a half an hour or so. Uh, our guest will be Mike Drucker, who's a comedy writer and a wonderful person. Um, I'm assuming he's a wonderful person. He seems like one to me. We share a sense of humor. Like that's, that's, you know, a shortcut, right? So, um, so yes, you will join us Wednesday. At, you will join us Wednesday at 9. And, Wayne, you had something to say before I hang I just, up. I just, before you hang up, I wanted to thank uh, you and River for doing the uh, special show, especially River, who uh, uh, do not you so much more, but especially River for doing yeah. it, which is a very above and beyond. I also wanted to thank uh, everyone who tuned in for this non-normal show on this non-normal topic and any of you who out there who did buy the book uh, and are helping um, spread the word, whether it's posting reviews or pictures of yourself with the book or telling friends or, or buying extra copies and leaving it around in uh, sexual supply shops or bus stations, which is also encouraged. Uh, it means a lot to me, the support. And I just want to thank everyone. Well, I think everyone has now been thanked. So we will see you guys in a couple of days. Good night, everybody. Thank you, too, for having me as well. Uh, just a lot of God damn it, River. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say thanking. All gratitude had been expressed. Why are you extending it? I will not be thanked. Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm thank overflowing you. with it. Anyway, thank you. I reject it. Oh, well, fine. all right. Most thank you. No, uh, all right. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.